Oh, before I begin, I just wanted to share some exciting news and thank you guys for listening. I started this podcast as a one-man band, and I'm still booking, hosting, editing, promoting, which, by the way, is still the hardest part of this whole thing. But I'm still loving this experience. And when I launched the show, I, I really wanted to make the iTunes News Noteworthy list, which I guess in some ways makes me seem like a little bit of a dork. But it's kind of a, a who's who list and a who's who category of of some of the newest podcasts that are out there. So after a couple of weeks, I, I honestly, I didn't think I was going to make it and kind of had just moved on from from thinking that it would reach that level. But I was pretty jacked last week when I found out the show had actually made that list. So uh, just once again, thank you for listening, because the reality is it doesn't get there without people subscribing, listening, rating, reviewing it all plays a factor. So thank you so much for being a part of this. It's it's really been a cool deal for me. And with that in mind, don't forget, tell your friends about the show. If you haven't subscribed yet, you haven't left that rating or review, please go ahead and do that and subscribe by just clicking that button. The feedback always appreciated at Mike underscore Yam or on, your, on my Facebook page, which is just Mike Yam. So, all right, let's get rocking and rolling here. Enjoy the latest episode with one of my closest friends, Deuces Rogers. And all of a sudden, OJ walks up. And, like, we're all taking a picture, and OJ gets in the picture. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is not the kind of guy I want to be around. <laughs> so I slide out of the picture. And I'm, just, I'm, like, mesmerized by this guy. First of all, he had the biggest head of anybody I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, his head was physically huge. And he's walking in this, like, club lounge area, like, hitting on women left and right. And then a little bit later in the night, my buddy and I are talking to two women that we didn't come there with, but we knew. We're just, you know, talking to them. And we weren't with them or anything, but, you know, nobody knows that. And OJ walks up as if we're not even there and starts rapping to the girls that we're talking to. And I'm like, wow, a little disrespectful, a little disrespectful. Here's the kicker. You know, they're kind of looking at him like, you know, all right, dude, you know, get lost. And he looked turns and looks at my buddy and I and he tells the girls uh, he tells the ladies, he goes if I were you I'd watch out for these guys, I know they're type and he walks away and I'm thinking to myself no they're type like law abiding citizens what do you mean no they're type if I didn't know in my heart that this guy more than likely you know, killed two people (laughs) you know, I might have stepped to him you know what I mean, but I'm like, there's no way I just let him walk away You watched them. You cheered for them. Maybe you booed them. You listened to them. You were impressed by them. Today, they share their favorite memories with you. It's the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's your host, Mike Yam. You know, one of the cool things about doing this podcast is I get to to essentially just catch up with a lot of friends. And, you know, today's guest is a guy that I keep in touch with. Uh, he's one of my best friends that I worked with at ESPN. And Lord knows, um, I know I gave him and his wife some laughs late night um, on the set because I would text him working some of these overnight shows and he'd be laughing at uh, some of the comments that I would make. We'd, we'd had a blast and we we still to this day keep in touch on a pretty regular basis. But right now he is the sports director at WPBI in Philadelphia. Uh, it's Deuces Rogers. D- D- it is great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you had me laughing and reminded me, reminded me about some of those late night texts I got from you the- Laugh in bed, wake up my wife with uh, you doing the clothes shows at ESPN until about four or five o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah, those those were memorable memories for for both of us for different reasons. Oh, by the way, Deuces, I found a a typo on your bio page on the uh, on the station's website. Uh-oh. You want me to tell you what it is? Sure. It it it, it says that you graduated uh, on the dean's list. I know. I've known you for years now. I know that can't be right. <laughs> well, I didn't say which dean's list it was. <laughs> it's two dean's lists. It was a Top half and a bottom half. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you which one. The, the list is the list, and there are other lists that you can be on that aren't necessarily as as prestigious. But um, I do appreciate you coming on, and, and I think it's really cool because we've had a couple different broadcasters on the show, and I think your path in a lot of ways is – is more typical because you know this. I mean, you ask so many different people, hey, how do you get into the business? And you ask 10 different people, you get 10 different stories. I started in radio, you started in TV, you did a lot of market jumping, but but sort of take me through 
how you've now landed in Philadelphia, but how you got to ESPN and, and all the things that were put into motion to, to establish yourself as, as really the go-to guy right now, at least in your market, when it comes to sports. Well, it's funny. I, uh, my first on-air job was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and when I was there, you know, I was 21 years old, um, and my dream was to get to a place like ESPN. And then I went from Chattanooga to Miami, and I ended up being in Miami about eight years. And I really had no more desire to go to ESPN. I was, I was a, a main guy at a, a top-notch station uh, covering some good teams. I was there, you know, with the uh, uh, Miami Dolphins, the Heat, the Marlins won the World Series, the Panthers went to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then I got a great opportunity to go to New York, uh, number one market in terms of local. And, you know, you're covering the Yankees in the World Series. You got the Knicks. You know, you got the, the Rangers. I mean, everything's going on up there. Um, and then uh, I I, um, I left there. I got to let go. Actually, they did some budget cuts. Uh, I was out of work for a little bit, and uh, my agent called me up and said, uh, "ESPN wants to talk to you." And I was like, "Wow!" Like I wasn't even thinking about ESPN anymore because you know, in local markets, you can make some you could make some good money. Um, and I was making some, you know, some decent coin, I'm not going to lie, in Miami and New York. ESPN comes calling, and, and I was like, you know what? It's always been kind of like a, you know, a dream, even though I put it on the back burner. I was like, well, let me give it a shot. And it was, uh, it was definitely a, an experience, so, so to speak. The, the the market jumping that you did, it's sort of classic, right? It's Chattanooga, Miami, New York City, then ESPN, and now you're in Philadelphia. So you're you're jumping around. You get that job. You're still young, early 20s. What's it like on a, on a personal level? Because I think that's part of the business that people don't realize. How difficult not only is it to break in, but sustain success, continue to grow, but at the same time having to sacrifice a lot. Yeah, well, I'm from Chicago, and so 21 years old, I get that you know, job offer in Chattanooga. And when I was in school, I literally sent resume tapes all over the country. You know, like I was, I realized early on because I interned at. And by, by the way, Deuces, when you say send tapes, you legitimately mean send tapes, like hard copies. Yeah. Hard, yeah, hard. They were back then, they were either a three quarter inch tape or what they call beta uh, or M2, <laughs> the Panasonic M2s. Um, yeah, like kids now, don't know about that. Awful. Yeah, everything's on a flash drive or you can email it or Vimeo or, you know, YouTube. We didn't have that back then. I literally had, took a tape that I, you know, had somebody make copies of and I, you know, took my butt to the uh, to the post office and, you know, sent out each tape, you know, four bucks a, a tape. And I sent them, like I said, everywhere. Like I said, because I realized that they weren't going to hide me in Chicago, you know, with no on-air experience. And so you talk about the personal sacrifices, you know, it was me in a U-Haul. You know, driving 660 miles to a town I'd never really been to. You know, I'd never been to. I knew nobody. And I'm living in a one-bedroom, one-bath, you know, apartment, you know, with the mattress on the floor, eating ramen noodles, <laughs> you know, two, three times a day, you know, making making no money. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a personal sacrifice. You got all your friends. You, you, you know, I had a girlfriend back then. She was living back in Chicago. Um, so my, my free time was just sitting in my, my apartment, you know, no joke, Cam. My free time was sitting in my apartment watching the O.J. Simpson trial on CNN. This was back in wow. 1994. Wow, <laughs> that consumed my time. Um, yeah, so it's it's tough. It's definitely tough. You know, in this business, the jobs are few and far between. So you gotta, you know, if somebody's gonna put you on the air. You've got no on-air experience. I don't care if it's in Kalamazoo or Anchorage, Alaska. You gotta take it. By the right. way, you, off radar, you and I need to talk about that O.J. deal. That's been. <laughs> Uh, because I feel like you and I could have some some good conversations because we come at it so differently because you're, you know, obviously you're a few years older than I am. I remember being glued to the television in the summers. Like I would go to swim team practice. I'd come home. I'd watch the trial on TV at lunchtime, go back to the pool. And then I remember even when the verdict came out, I've told this story on uh, when Tony Rally came on. It's like these moments that you always remember when the verdict came down. It's it's crazy. Do you remember where you were? I'm sure you do. So I just left my job in Chattanooga. I was about to start in Miami, um, but I had about I mean, maybe 10 days off between jobs. And I flew from Chattanooga to Chicago to see my mom. And I was on the phone with a reporter from my old station, just, you know, kind of catching up. And I was in the driveway talking to her cordless phone, driveway, no cell phones back then. Um, and <laughs> she, all of a sudden, she just gasped. She's like, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm like, what? Are you, what, what? You know, what's going on? She goes, He's not guilty. He's not guilty. And I'm like, what? OJ? Yeah. So, you know, I hung up the phone with her and ran it out. 
and you know, I sat in front of the TV for probably the next 10, 12 hours just consuming it all. Um, yeah, it was it was nuts. And then fast forward to when I worked in Miami, um, after Simpson was found not guilty of that double murder, he ended up moving to Florida, to South, South Florida, Miami area, because they couldn't touch his NFL pension. And I actually had a run-in with him once. Really? Um, yeah. So I'm, oh my gosh, I'm at a, um, I'm at a, a nightclub or yeah, club or bar lounge, um, enjoying myself. And this, I was with a buddy, and a guy comes out and was like, hey, you know, Roy Jones Jr., the boxer, is having a, a get together in a private room. Would you guys want to come back there? And I didn't know Roy Jones Jr. at all, but I'd been on the air in Miami uh, for a bit, and each you know lives down there, so he probably knew who I was, or whatever. So I go back there, and it's like. Like, like what you would think in a South Beach club. All kinds of athletes, celebrities, you know, all kind of hanging out. I remember John Sally was there, a couple other, you know, Miami Dolphin players were there. And then all of a sudden, you know, get a picture together. And all of a sudden, OJ walks up. And, like, we're all taking a picture, and OJ gets in the picture. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is not the kind of guy I want to be around. So I slide out of the picture. And I'm, just, I'm, like, mesmerized by this guy. First of all, he had the biggest head of anybody I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, his head was physically huge. And he's walking in this, like, club lounge area, like, hitting on women left and right. And I remember there were two Asian women that walked by, and he says, out loud, I need to get with that. And he walks up, and he starts rapping at them. And they're looking at him like, you know, like, I don't know if they knew how to accept him. Like, you know, he was, you, know, you could tell he was kind of charming, but at the same time, you know, you got this cloud hanging over his head. And then a little bit later in the night, my buddy and I are talking to two women that we didn't come there with, but we knew. We're just, you know, talking to them. And we weren't with them or anything, but, you know, nobody knows that. And OJ walks up as if we're not even there and starts rapping to the girls that we're talking to. And I'm like, wow, a little disrespectful. A little disrespectful. Here's the kicker. You know, they're kind of looking at him like, you know, all right, dude, you know, get lost. And he look, turns and looks at my buddy and I, and he tells the girls, uh, he tells the ladies, he goes, if I were you, I'd watch out for these guys. I know they're tight. And he walks away. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, no, they're tight. You... Like law-abiding citizens? What do you mean? No, <laughs> I was just going to say, non-murderers? If I didn't know in my heart that this guy more than likely, you know, killed two people, <laughs> you know, I might, I might have stepped to him. You know what I mean? But I'm like, there's no way. I just let him walk away. <laughs> live live wow. the breeze another day. Is, yeah, can, yeah, all right, so yeah. you you and I have never talked. We, I mean, we we joke all the time. I mean, I can't even tell anyone who's listening to this podcast the amount of text messages that go between us on a weekly basis that have me <laughs> literally in tears because I'm laughing so hard. It's it's epic, and I'm sure you feel the same way. We, it's kind of weird. We we typically don't talk about a lot of serious things. So I'm going to stick on this. I told you we we're going to talk about broadcasting. We will, we will, and I, I get some weird moments and some great moments. But I'm curious because of the environment because you are you're a, a a professional black broadcaster in sports that really rose i mean you ended up in new york number one market you you did well at espn now you're you're dominating the ratings i know your station is and what you do in philadelphia so you have all the success but take me back to that moment you said you're consuming everything all the news coverage you're in the business at that point and what what was your take on what was happening Open-ended and neutral question to you, Deuces. Oh, I like that. I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, you talking about during the OJ trial? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd love yeah. to hear your take on it because obviously the, there was such a racial divide in this country, um, you know, on, on whether he did it or whether you supported him or you didn't. It, it's funny. So obviously there's been, you know, uh, Fox or FX did their, you know, TV movie on it. 30 for 30 has their documentary on it. So I'm watching it. And I hear now they're saying back then, only 10% of African-Americans believe he was guilty. And I hear that, and I'm like, what? I'm like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? Like, because, like I said, I watch that trial every single day. I probably miss, you know, 2% of it. And, and you know I mean? So I was watching it constantly. It, it came on, it was a West Coast trial. It came on at, at noon, my time, East Coast time. You know, and so I'd watch it from noon to, like, 3 o'clock, and then I'd head into work. And then whatever I missed, you know, CNN would just rebroadcast stuff, you know, 24 hours a day. I, it, it's, it's funny, taking myself back to that time, I thought he was 
you know, to walk from the trial. I thought he was, I thought he was guilty. I thought he was wow. guilty, and I thought all this other stuff about Mark Furman and Mark Furman used the N word, and Mark Furman, you know, talked about that he liked breaking, you know, suspects' arms and hearing the bones crack. I thought it was just all white noise, you know, not to use a racial term or you know, it was fun, <laughs> but I thought it was just all just background noise, and people getting, you know, people were getting, you know, distracted by it, and and this whole thing of. You know, well, maybe black people were, you know, they're happy that he got away with it because of, you know, all the, the, um, the wrongs that blacks had to go through in this, in this, in this country over the last, you know, several hundred years. I'm like, you know, it's, it's the whole, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. You know what I mean? And it just seemed, it seemed, you know, obviously my, my, my white friends were like, that guy's guilty as heck. You know what I mean? And, and I thought that, I thought the same thing. And so it really shocked me that. Uh, that you know the stat that I just heard that 10, only ten percent of African Americans thought he was he was guilty. I I found that to be to be ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I was like I said. I mean, I was younger when all that stuff was happening. I still remember it, and I've been glued to. The, I mean, I watched the FX deal. I watched the Thirty for Thirty. Uh, uh, some of the stuff is. I think it, it's. I think look, if it angers me and it's still resonating with me, and I wasn't really in the in the thick of things in terms of that age group, I can't even imagine what it's like for for people who really understood the dynamics oh. of the society. It's. I mean, I I cringe watching some of that stuff. You see some of the pictures of the crime oh, yeah. scene alone. It, it's 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 horrific. I don't know how. I don't know whether what other word to use. That's. A pro, I mean, obviously, we're we're recording a podcast. If we could be crude, we could, and and we can. But I I don't want to go there. But it is, dude. It's it's bad, man. I don't know how else to say it. Bad. And, and, and so, and going, going back, going back for me, and I think the thirty for thirty did a uh, is doing a good job of portraying this. Like O.J. Simpson was, it was as big of a of an athlete. Like I didn't see him play live or anything like that. But you knew the name. I mean, and I, we, I was at work the other day, and we we're trying to compare an athlete today who crossed over so much that you can compare it to. And I can't. I can't. The, the closest thing I can come, the, the closest thing I can get to with this, and he's nowhere near there, is a guy like Michael Strahan, who was a superstar on the football field, and ends up on TV, and he's crushing it on TV now. Good Morning America, and you know, yeah. he just left the live with you know with Kelly and Michael's show, but a guy who, you know, he on a game show, but that's, that's what O.J. was. He was in movies, he was in commercials, he was on, you know, TV shows. He was everywhere after being a Hall of Fame football player. And so, like I said, like, Strand's only, so if you imagine, you know, heaven forbid, but, like, if Strand ended up in a situation like that, you know, it still wouldn't even compare to, like, you know, how big O.J. Oh. was back then, but that's the, that's the closest comparison I can give you. It's, yeah, that's a good like, one. I, I'm stunning. I'm in my head when you said that. I, I can't. Shaq was someone I thought of because of all the commercials and he's been in movies, but it's not the same. I mean, you just, you know, it's not the same. I just, that you're right. It's a, that's a tough deal to follow. It's just, it's really, it's incredible. And and look, you lived it. Um, But I know we took a little bit of a tangent there, but that was a great story. Uh, I'm curious too, because I made reference to the fact that you are a guy now in Philadelphia. We know each other from our days at ESPN. You obviously jumped around from market to market, but you mentioned Miami. What's it like to get the phone call when you're in Chattanooga, knowing that now you have an opportunity to make a, I don't know what the market numbers are, but I got to think it's a huge jump from Chattanooga to Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So back then I think Chattanooga might have been 85, 85th market and Miami is like, I think 15 or 16. Um, yes. I, I'll never forget when I got that call. So I, I, uh, I get a call in the afternoon and it's from a guy who was like a headhunter, uh, you know, like a you know, guy who basically is just hired to go find talent on air talent for stations. Then he calls me up and he's like, yeah, hey, I got a station in the top 20 market um, that's interested in you. Is it okay if I give me your name and number? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> please do. And la- later on that day, I get off the set uh, after doing the 6 o'clock newscast and I come to the sports office and the phone rings and I pick it up and I thought it was somebody complaining because I mispronounced the NASCAR name or something like that. And it was this news director from Miami and she's like, hey, you know, I've seen a little bit of your work. Uh, we got an opening. Um, you know, I'd like to see more of your work. Can you send me some more stuff? I was like, yeah. And so I spent hours that night after the 11 o'clock newscast. Hours. I might have been at the station until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, going through tapes, physical tapes, 
and uh, trying to find you know, some good stuff to put together. And I ended up sending her the show I did that, that day. Um, I think I just ended up being jazzed up at 3, 11 o'clock just knowing I had a chance to maybe go to Miami. I had a really good show. And I sent her that, that show, and I, and I threw in the cover letter. I could have looked through hours of tape. You know I did. And I go, why didn't I just send you what I did that day I spoke to you? That's a fair representation of who I am as a broadcaster. You know, some corny, you know, just like that. And um, she flew me down for an interview. I had to get permission to get out of my contract. I took a little bit of time, but I did. And uh, next thing I know, I was, you know, I was on South Beach. Um, covering, you know, covering Miami Hurricanes and all kinds of stuff. I'll never forget this. So in Chattanooga, I was there 11 months, and I might have done four live shots, like live remote, you know, broadcasting, no prompter or anything like that. I did four in 11 months. I did, I think, six in, like, the first week in Miami. Wow. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like baptism by fire. It was, in fact, it was like when I first started there, the University of Miami got put on probation for um, – I'm like, I think, like, I was in a recruiting scandal. It was, I think, like, it was some kind of, like, I forget what it was. It was, they got put on probation in the program, and they sent me down there, and I was live, like, every half hour from, like, 5 to five to 7 o'clock, and then again from 10 o'clock to 11.30, doing live reports. And it was a baptism by fire. Um, I was, yeah, 22 when I got to Miami. Wow. Yeah, Are you was, nervous? Was definitely a great moment. Was I nervous? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not even about the job, but like, and I don't want to say nervous is the term because I feel like every time I get a broadcaster on the show, because I think it's really important for anyone who wants to get into the industry to understand the role of self-doubt. And, and I used to think I was the only one who had it, but the more and more I talk to other people in the industry, the more I realize that it's the norm. So I always ask everyone sort of, you know, at 22, would you say Chattanooga was market what, 80-something, 85, 75? 85, yeah. 85 and then you make a jump i mean at 22 to get to miami that's that's really impressive and then a few years later you're in the number one market in new york city i mean that is that's a great rise but i gotta think that there's got to be self-doubt when you're 22 like you said you only do a few live shots you know in chattanooga and all of a sudden you, you did as many as you did in 11 months as you did in one week yeah i um there's something to be said about being young and <laughs> instead of saying dumb i'll say naive you know because you just don't yeah. know so I was nervous more on a micro scale in terms of I'm nervous today about to go on camera right now. I wasn't really nervous on a macro scale in terms of, oh, my gosh, I'm 22 and I'm in Miami. You know, I don't think that ever really hit me. Um, yeah, I, I, and I don't know why that never really hit me. It didn't hit me there. In New York, it didn't really hit me there either. But it was like I was more nervous, like I said, at the, the, the singular moment that I was on TV about to go on. You know, you get those little butterflies, like, do I know my stuff? Do I know my stuff? I don't know my stuff. Um, I think when it really kind of hit me a little bit, I went to Miami as the weekend anchor at 22. About a year, year and a half later, they fire the main guy. And then at 24, they make me the main guy. And I think that's when it was like, okay, I'm 24 years old, and I'm the number one sportscaster at the station. Like, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah. And it kind of hit me there a little bit, and I kind of felt the gravity of that a little bit. Um, but it was a cool station, a station that supported me, and sports down there, it's maybe not as important. Um, it's not going to say it's not as important as, like, here in Philadelphia or, or Boston or New York. But um, those Miami teams had a good run. And when they, it's, a, it's an event town, and when the teams are doing well, people show up, and the newscast gives more, they give more attention to it. So you're, like, put out there as being, a, you know, the lead guy. Yeah. So it kind of hit yeah. me more then, um, but yeah, as I look back on it, that's yeah, pretty cool, to, you know, to be so young and be in a good position like that. What's the difference between working at ESPN, which is, I, I, I don't know, I don't think I had your first show, but I had to have you and I worked pretty early, I think, in your <laughs> yeah, in a your lot. ten. <laughs> we worked together a lot. We had a lot of fun uh, sure, on that we set, but. We had our last show together too. Do you, all right? Can I tell that story? You, you and I both know that we're out the oh, door, right? I mean, you you yeah. accepted the job in Philadelphia, so you're you're geeked up for this. Uh, I accepted the job at Pac-12 Network. I'm I'm obviously geeked up to to move out here and 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 uh, and, and to be a part of this network, but. You, we were so tight there. I mean, I look, I, I was, you were one of my best friends there. Kevin Connors is one of my best friends uh, from ESPN. I mean, just the transition that that he did helped me make moving there was huge. And and I hope at least I helped it at least with you a little bit, just sort of Absolutely. stepping in there. And we we had so much fun. But 
we're out the door and we realized that we're ending. I'll never forget this, Deuces. It was a Saturday, okay? Yep. Saturday. You must I have been starting in Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. So it's a Saturday and we both realize that it's our last day together at ESPN. We go and I have, you have Sports Center, like I forget, it might have been like noon to three. I have like three to six. And I, I don't remember who I switched with, but I remember going, beeline. I switched to get on the show. I beelined it as soon as I realized that you told me both Saturdays. I go, what shift do you have? I, I don't remember who I switched with. I begged to switch onto your show. To this day, look, you, you and I are pros most of the time, and people don't understand this. When you leave ESPN, it's rare where they let you continue to work after you yeah. know that you're out the door. It only happens to a few people. And you and I were, were two of those people. I can name off the top of my head on you know, maybe two other guys that, that at least in my four years there, they let do that. And uh, I can't to this day believe they let two guys walking out the door <laughs> work together on their last show. We had so much fun on that sports center. And okay. I do you remember when we were finishing out the show? All the things oh, that we I joked know. we were going to say, which obviously we would never do. And at one point, we started la- laughing on the goodbye. <laughs> yeah, actually, I do remember that. I do remember that. And I also which remember was, uh... you and I both blew off the uh, post-show meeting. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no reason to have the uh, the post-show meeting because whatever notes we were going to get, just not not applicable moving forward so we uh we left we ran out the door and that was the uh that was the goodbye you wrote your you wrote your goodbye email you weren't even going to write one remember you wrote it during the show on the set set. (laughs) oh man i think i wrote to all the people who confused me with don bell (laughs) (laughs) oh man and i think you had a joke in there too about like owing you money or something along those lines because you were going back and forth. I wrote like a week before. I wrote like this heartfelt letter, a letter or email rather, to everyone, just sort of thanking them. Because I did learn. I mean, I never get this job at Pac-12 Network without ESPN. But I, I just, it was so heartfelt, and I could, I couldn't be more thankful to a lot of people that were really, really, really good to me. And at one point, you're like, should I write an email? <laughs> And I was like, I don't know, man. You can write one if you want. And you're like, nah, I'm not gonna write one. And then and then you said to yourself, actually, you know what? I, I'm going to. And then you wrote it during the show. <laughs> oh man, that was classic. That it's was probably classic. why I don't keep in touch with many people from high school. I just like I just move on. I just pick up and go. <laughs> it's in the rearview mirror, Matt. Um yeah. did did I even ask you the question about ESPN and and No, I didn't. I think we oh. got onto a tangent. But like covering all these national sports, right? Every single day. God, I'm having flashbacks to that last show. Um, and then, and then now going back to 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 being like sort of in this nitty gritty environment where, I mean, Philadelphia, I pick three what top three markets in the country where the where sports is like a religion. There, I mean, I, yeah. the diehard fans. I mean, you're in a market D where you know this. I mean, it's just it's out of control. The people that are paying attention to what's happening. Yeah, it's. Uh... They're they're rabbit. They care. They care when they win. They care even more when they lose. I mean, it's 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 nuts here. And the biggest difference. So I'll go backward. The biggest difference going from local New York to ESPN was, you know, in New York I was responsible for nine professional teams, a handful of college teams. You know what I mean? Um, when you go to ESPN, you need to know a little about a lot of different things. And that's yeah. where it was like, that was a huge learning curve. Because I get to ESPN and they'd be like, yeah, you know, Pac-12 pack, pack football. And I'm like, yeah, what about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you, you have to know a little about a lot. You don't know what show you're going to be on. You don't know what analysts are going to put at you. You don't know what storyline is going to be that day. All of a sudden, Barry, they're like, all right, Barry Melrose is going to sit next to you and talk about the, uh, the Canucks, uh, the Canucks uh, wild game. And you're like, What? You know what I mean? And you, and you really got to know their stuff. So that was a, although Barry was about, he knew half of us didn't know our stuff, but he, he would take care of us. Um, you really had to know your stuff. And that was, you know, you're going to laugh at this. I don't know if I ever told you this, but to help me learn, um, like the NHL and like when World Cup soccer was coming, I'd buy Xbox games. I'd buy a FIFA, FIFA, you know, 2012, you know, and, no, and I'm like, oh, all right, Messi, all right, I know Messi now, I know Ronaldo, I know, you know, I know Kaká, you know what I mean? And I did that with the NHL games, and I, I was sitting there, a video at home, playing all these, you know, video games, but that helped me learn 
you know, in addition to reading and consuming, yeah, you know, yeah. sports center 24 hours. Now, leaving there, coming back to local, so I got all this national knowledge. I know, I know, I could tell you about the, you know, the Pac-12 conference. I could tell you about, you know, you know, all these different things on a national level. I could tell you about John McDermott and it, you know, and his dad, the coach of Creighton and all that stuff. And I get here to Philadelphia, like, they don't care about all that. They just want their local stuff. <laughs> and so now it's like I had to go back to learning so much as I could about the, you know, the four professional teams that are here and the, and the college basketball that's here. And you got to study it, study it, study it, because, you know, you walk down the street, somebody recognizes you, they want to ask you about yeah. that double-A prospect in the Phillies organization. And you need to know it or they're not, they're not going to take you seriously. And so that was a, that was a big change. And also the thing at ESPN, I, I may have said this before, but I felt like I myself a studio gangster at ESPN because I was always in the studio. <laughs> you know, a studio gangster, you know, a rapper who you know, has never been on the street. Yeah. But, you know, you still, I'm ne- I was never on the streets there. And I felt like I lost that connection of covering a team, getting to know the players, talking to the coaches and things like that, and coming back to local. I missed that a lot. I mean, you you get a better feel, you get a better context of what's going on when you can talk to the coaches. You know, you talk to an equipment guy who gives you a little bit of information or, you know, as opposed to just seeing a highlight on, you know, seeing a game highlight and just being generic about it. Um, so I, I, I'm glad I'm back on the local level. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. These Philadelphia fans, they are a blossom, blossom of the death. But they – I heard – and I'm cutting myself off, but I heard – a guy named Ray Dittinger. He's a, he's a writer, a radio guy, TV guy here in Philadelphia. He knows more about the Eagles than anybody walking the earth. And he used a quote where he said, you could be out of town and you can fly into Philadelphia International Airport on a Sunday evening. And without having seen the score, before you walked out of the, the airport, you could feel whether the, Phillies, or whether the Eagles won or lost that day. The city wow. takes on a different mood, and it's true. When the Eagles lose, it you know everybody's everybody's like a zombie. When they win, everybody's hyped and excited, and like and no one no one no one has to tell you what the score of the game was, what happened. You can just feel it or see it on people's faces what the Eagles did that day, and and that's true with pretty much every team. They they love their Philadelphia teams, and it's awesome. It's awesome to see, and it's awesome to be a part of. Are you um? Is there a moment, I mean, we've been, when we left ESPN at the same time, so it's four years basically that we've been gone. You've been in Philadelphia. I've been here in San Francisco at the Pac-12 Network. Is there, is there a moment over the last four years, and I, maybe I shouldn't restrict it to this, but like that standout moment, something that was really memorable, or, or maybe even something before you got to ESPN? Standout moment. Um, you know, there, there, there might be, I, I've had a, a great opportunity to cover a lot of different things. Um, you know, some good, some bad, memorable moments. I've, I've been lucky to be at a, a couple different draft days for athletes. I remember being at Ray Lewis's draft day um, when he came out of the University of Miami. Um, gosh, that was 90, 96, I think. Um, I was at uh, Edger and James' draft day in a small town called Immokalee, Florida, like in the middle of nowhere. And I was at Willis McGahee's draft day at Drew Rosenhaus' house. And... Um, but just to like, that's kind of cool where you see, you know, someone realize their dreams. I mean, they get that call and just to be a part of that, that moment. And McGahee's a great, I'll never forget this with McGahee. You may remember uh, they were in the national championship game in the Fiesta Bowl. It was 03. And he uh, tore up his knee. I mean, he was going to be a top, he was going to be a top, probably a top 10, maybe even a top five pick. Uh, sure. He was that, that much of a stud. He, you know, blows out his knee in that loss. And they're like, yeah, he might get drafted in the third or fourth and fifth round. And, like, you just, I mean, this kid was crushed. And I was working in Miami at the time and doing a show with uh, Rosenhaus, with his agent, and Rosenhaus kept telling us, I guarantee you he'll get drafted in the first round. And, you know, it's true job, the protector's guy, and he'd be, you know, uh, braggadocious like that. But I'm like, Drew, you've got to be kidding me. And Drew kept saying, I, I tell you, he's going to, I'm telling you, he's working hard. He's going to, you know. He may miss a year or whatever, but he's going to be back stronger than ever. And Drew kept saying this. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And I'm at Rosenhaus' house on draft day. And McGahee's there with his family. And we're watching the draft. And, you know, players are going off the board. And he's just sitting there, just sitting there. And he's looking kind of he's looking kind of down. And Drew, uh, this, was a, this was a great story. Drew uh, uh, 
notices that every time they take that live camera in, in his house on ESPN, and McGee looks like, you know, somebody just stole his cat. And so Truth's like, you know, patting him on the back, buddy, buddy, don't worry, rubbing his shoulders, come on, you need to look, you need to look be happy. He's like, hey, 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 grab your cell phone. And every time they would show McGee, True would call McGee. True's sitting right next to him, would call McGee's phone, and McGee would pick it up and start talking. And Drew told me this afterwards. He was trying to give the image that teams were calling McGee right now. And, that's right. and whether it worked or not, who knows, but try to give that, that, that perception out there that, hey, this guy's about to go. He's hot. He's getting phone calls left and right. You know the phone call was coming from Drew sitting so like right next to him. And then he ends up getting, take, then he ends up getting taken by the Buffalo Bills yeah. in the first round. I think, I think it was 15th or 16th. And this moment of relief went over McGee's face. And like, oh, you, you could just see like weight just fell off it. Like his body just almost like went limp. And his family's all excited, and he's, he's starting to cry. And just to be there, like right next to him when it happened, was was awesome. And then the footnote to the story, front page of the Miami Herald comes out, and there's the picture of Rosenhaus hugging, uh, uh, Drew hugging McGahee, McGahee like kind of like slumped over, Jason Rosenhaus, Drew's brother, uh, is behind them. And there I am in the picture with my arms up. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm a reporter. <laughs> I looked like I was like part of the part of the entourage. <laughs> I looked like I was like, oh, hey, we we going to sis, Larry. <laughs> I was like, you're such a fool. But like, I, I was, you know, for that, you know, I was supposed to be impartial. But at that moment, I was yeah. as happy as for that kid as his family was. You know, what I mean that, that he was going to, you know, realize his dream, and he turned out to be a, a darn good running back too. In the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, he was fantastic. I can I can empathize with those feelings that you have because I feel like when I see guys that I've covered in the Pac-12 conference do well post college career and get drafted or have success like you you're happy for him because you get to kind of yeah. know him a little bit and um you know there's so many great student athletes and um you know just it's it's definitely a cool vibe i'm surprised um uh, by the way you, you have two two little guys in the house and i told you we'd only yeah. go about 30 minutes or so are, are they up from the nap i don't want to i have i have not heard them i have not okay. heard them. So hopefully they're not up Okay, so I'll let you get going quickly here, but I'm surprised when I say memorable moment. I thought you know, you got to dig into the archives sometime, and I thought you were going to go with a story from way back in the day when you were um, in New York. I want you to take a listen to uh, to one of your one of your moments on air. Take a listen. John's here today. Thanks so much for coming. A special treat for us. Thanks for having me. I'm blessed to be on the show. All right, let's, uh, let's get some of this other stuff out of the way first. There was an article in the paper yesterday about the uh, former Nick employee whose father lost you. You were named in that. Can you comment on that at all? I just want to say sorry and I apologize to Anuka. I'm sorry if I caused any hurt, harm, or any injustice. I apologize to my wife as well. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I know who I am. And by me being able to apologize and have acceptance in my heart for her, I had to ask my wife for acceptance. So for me, I'm a bigger person because of that. Let's talk about some stuff you've been doing off the court yesterday. Two 18-wheelers worth of Starberry yeah. products you just gave away? We just gave it away. It was something that was, it was in my heart, and it was something that had to be felt. It looked like it yesterday. Where did this, where did this start, the whole Starberry, and all this charity work that you've been doing over the past year and a half, two years? How did that begin? Well, um, you know what? It's been growing inside my body and in my mind, and now that my, my mind is clear, it's like when you free your mind, it's like everything shuts off, and then you get to start a new life and build a new memory. Mm-hmm. So my gig is unlimited. My mother said, the truth will set you free, Stefan, and you tell me the truth. And you still don't get a bug with me. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to tell the truth. And my sister Stephanie, she'll wait for hours until you tell her the truth. She been saved forever. First I asked the guy, I said, what am I going to do to get up on this wall? He said, Give me a picture. <laughs> and I, I had a picture in the car. So I went, I had a whole bunch of stacks of um, pictures when I was screaming like that. When uh-huh. I first got here, like, because <laughs> we just won, and I just came in New York, and I was feeling it. Stefan, before I let you go, I got to tell you, I thought I was the best-dressed guy up here, but you've, you've totally outdone me. Hey, we, we got to get this fit. on the cover of GQ. We got to get on the cover of GQ. That outfit is too nice just to be seen here. It's got to be nationwide. <laughs> Stefan, thanks for coming. Oh, appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. Okay, so so Stefan Marbury with some I mean, that's 
That Starberry in New York, I still remember when he comes to the Knicks and Isaiah Thomas pulls off this deal. I mean, just the city. You just told the story about McGahee and sort of how excited he was. The city, and, and you told me how passionate Philadelphia was. I remember being in New York at the time. You were obviously there. And the buzz in the city about Stephon Marbury coming to the Knicks galvanized New York City. And people don't know it, realize this. When the Knicks are good, New York is a basketball town. It's not a baseball yep. town or a football town. It is a hoops town when the Knicks are good. And there was a buzz there. That had to be the weirdest thing I have ever seen in my entire life because Marbury, I look, I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn here. I, I almost feel like he was uh, either drunk or on something. He is, and the visuals. And by the way, you can you can find this on uh, on YouTube. I'll put the link in the uh, in the description there. But if you basically oh, just go, how did I how did I find this deal? Oh, uh, Stefan Marbury on Sports Sunday, which by the way has eighty four thousand views, and in the last few days it's got like a couple more because of me. So Stefan Marbury on Sports Sunday, you'll see Marbury and Deuces on on the set together. Kudos to you for picking out uh, a very nice suit on the set. But what what's going through your mind when he's making these like these gyrations with his face and slurring his words and not making any sense. It was the strangest moment. I, you know, I've been doing this now 20 plus years by far the strangest moment of my television career. I didn't know we're on live. So he's a wild card at this point. point. I don't know what he's going <laughs> to say, what he's going to do. I'll give you a little background. So this is when Isaiah it was about the beginning of the end of Isaiah's run with the Knicks. Um, Isaiah is being sued. Isaiah Thomas is being sued by a Knicks employee for sexual harassment. Um, and Marbury was named in the suit. So Marbury's supposed to come on with us. And it's about, I don't know, it's about, he, he came there and he was, really, he was a little weird to begin with. You know, he was definitely like extra animated before we went on the air. And he's like, oh, guys, I need, the, I need some pizza. And we're like, all right, we'll get some pizza downstairs. New York City, there's a pizza joint at every corner. He's like, no, yeah, no, it's from 51st Street. And he gave us a specific, a specific spot, like, you know, 12 blocks away. All right, we sent an intern down there to go get it. So we're about to go on. <laughs> it might be five, ten minutes before going on the air. And, and I never, whenever we're interviewing people, I may give them subject matter, but I, but I never tell them what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I never give them specific questions. Questions, you know, yeah. It's like, you know. You just, I mean, it's like, you know, you don't get the questions to the test before you take it, you know. So before we went in the studio, I said, hey, just so you know, I have to ask you about this sexual harassment suit. Um, I go, it's up to you. If you don't want to answer it, you don't have to answer it. But I have to, as a journalist, I have to ask you. And he goes, don't ask him about that. He goes, I'm not doing the show. And I'm like, Man, we've been teasing that he's going to be on. And I was like, look, Scott, and I had a pretty good relationship with him. Look, Scott, I have to ask you again. You don't want to answer it. Just say, can't talk about it. Legal matters. No comment. Not feel, feel comfortable. That's fine. And he's like, man, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'm like, oh, we're about to go on the air. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, and I was like, all right, you know what? I won't ask about it. I was like, you know, and I felt really uncomfortable saying that, but I needed to get him on the air. I was like, I won't ask about it. And he looks at me and goes, no, ask him about it. And he just had a weird look in his eye. And I was like, no, oh, no, yeah. I won't ask you about it. <laughs> and he goes, no, no. He goes, I, he goes, I want you to ask me about it. And I'm like, okay. So we get out there, and I ask him about it, and then he proceeds to apologize to this woman who's filing a sexual harassment suit. And I'm like, okay. And then he starts getting this tangent, and if people click on that link, they're going to put it on there. Uh, he goes on this tangent about his sister, and his sister never tells the truth. And if you tell the truth, you know, God will set you free, and he starts, you know, gunning God and the Jesus stuff, and and then he starts talking about Carnegie Hall and delis, and and I just asked him about the Knicks' new draft pick, Wilson Chandler, and he goes, I've never seen him play, but one day I was walking down the street, and I was like, Carnegie Delis, somebody asked you for a picture, and none of his answers hurt, made any sense. any sense to what I'm asking, and he does this crazy move where he like, like he's like being received by God, like he's reaching up to the sky. And we get done with the interview, and he's, like, real hype and just, like, crazy. And we go a break, and he was only supposed to be on for one segment. And so we're in the break, and I'm like, all right, thanks, Steph, for coming in. Producer comes in the uh, studio to walk him out. And he's like, no, no, it's like, I don't need, I don't need to go off the ground. Like, no, Steph, seriously, you can, you, you can go. And he, he wouldn't leave. Please. So we come back, and I'm not, now I'm doing golf highlights, and he's still there. So he starts talking over the golf highlights with me. And, like, 
We go to another break and come back. He's still there. So we actually say, wow. Wow. that was like my co-host for the whole show. What's his plan? So we we get off the set. And so he starts asking me about, hey, where's Katie Kirk? Where's, and this is when Katie Kirk was the anchor of the CBS Evening News. We're in the same building. He goes, where's Katie Kirk? I'm like, she's not here. He's like, what do you mean she's not here? I'm like, Steph, it's midnight on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, she's not here. He goes, I need to talk to her. I talked to her about, about her and I doing a show together. I'm like, are you serious? And he, again, he would not leave. Eventually, he corners one of our editors. One of our editors is in the bathroom. And Steph walks in, and they say hi. And Steph's like, oh, what do you do here? And the guy's like, I'm an editor. Steph's like, really? Yeah, he's like, what do you mean? And the guy's like, oh, well, I edit tape. I, you know, put this stuff together. And Steph goes, come here. Steph's Stefan Marbury steps into a bathroom stall. He tells the guy, come here. And the guy's looking at him. This, uh, this editor, Chris. And Steph's like, come here. So the guy walks in the stall with Marbury. Marbury shuts the door. Says, I got a job for you. I want you to be my editor for some stuff I'm doing. And like, the guy's like, okay. In the stall? What? Goes, in the stall. In the stall. They're in there for like five minutes. Steph is laying on his business plan. This video Was it like a handicap stall? I mean, like, how much room? Is it tight in there? <laughs> You know what? I was I don't know. I do not know. It's a very good question. And like this is when Steph is doing the uh, strawberry brand with Damon Berry and you know, had yeah, yeah. shoe going for like twenty bucks. And so the guy like did stuff on his information and true to his word, Barbary calls the guy and the guy ends up editing some videos for him, like his charity work and stuff like that. Now fast forward to the next day, it's Monday. And a a, a vice president with the Knicks calls me, someone that I know personally. And she's like, I got to ask you a question. You know, I'm like, what? She's like, we saw that stuff on with Marbury. And Marbury had done another show that night as well with Bruce Beck at WNBC, and he was oh, yeah. just as whacked out as well. And she goes, I just talked to Bruce uh, back over at NBC. I got to ask you, was he drunk? And I was like, you know, I don't know. She goes, was he, you know, then they asked if he was, you know, if he was under another uh, substance. And I'm like, I don't know. And <laughs> what did Bruce I, say? And I, it's funny, I want to ask you, I don't know what Bruce said, but I said, the CB at the Knicks is asking me, and I was like, look, I know drunk, you know, I know what high kind of looks like, you know, I don't know what that other stuff is. I go, I don't think he was any of them. And she's like, no, he had to be on something. Honestly, he felt like someone who was, and I hate to use the term, but like a drunk on guy. You know, the people who just get saved or whatever, or people you yeah, see on the, yeah. the, the, the televangelists, and, oh my gosh, I see the light. Like, he was like that. It was so whacked out. To this day, I don't know if he was on a substance or not, or, but it, again, it was the strangest day of my on-air career where I was like, where you felt like you had, you know, yeah, you know this, when you feel like you don't have control when you're on the air, that's a very uncomfortable position. You know, 100%. you may not feel like you don't have control, but if you got a good producer, but when you're out there with a wild card, you don't know what this guy's going to say, what he's going to do. He might drop an F-bomb, you know, he might, you know, and yeah, it was, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've seen Marbury since that day. <laughs> I think he's still playing in China somewhere. <laughs> well, I think he was just like an MVP maybe a couple seasons ago. Um, God, I think that that might've been the case. I don't remember. I had Pete Thamel on the show. I think he was like my oh, third episode of fourth episode yeah. oh, oh thanks man the, uh, the dc uh, uh the yeah day. curtis malone yeah yeah curtis crazy. malone and he bro- dude that's that was that was crazy man and if you haven't if heard that one i think it's if anyone yeah if anyone's listening and you haven't heard that one that's a that's a that's a good podcast to listen to. Yeah, i i appreciate i'm glad you're listening you tell me you do and i i i kind of yeah. like half believe it but now i'm like oh actually deuces is listening he's supporting a friend i like that uh he yeah that was a lot seriously man it's been it's been a lot of fun doing a lot of these shows and uh even talking to a couple of our mutual friends that we've worked with they, they're good enough to stop by and um it's been it's been a ton of fun and uh but yeah that was a crazy story aau drug dealing coach who was like a powerhouse in AAU basketball is now in jail. It's, it's right it's out of insane. the wire. Right out of the wire. It's hundred percent, a hundred percent. So uh, I appreciate that. Deuce says, I know your your boys are probably driving Diana like up a wall because they got to be up from their nap. And I feel like Diana 
is probably not, I might not be high on her list. You know, we started the show saying you were on the Dean's list, which I still don't buy. I think that's gotta be a typo. And I said, there are other lists that you can be on. Your wife either loves me or hates me because I used to wake her up with my text messages to you late at night. And now she's like with the boys, probably searching for you to help out. And you're down in your basement right now, hanging out, talking to me for this podcast. So I feel like- Just to show you what a parent I am. She's actually out. She ran out to run some errands. I'm like, I don't worry about it. I put them down. So they literally could be like setting the house on fire. <laughs> they could be, they could be, you know, rearranging the furniture, hanging out the window right now. I have no clue. One of them okay, stole so, a crib, although he's able to get out. Um, oh, this yeah. is. So, this yeah, is... I should be worried about both of them. This is bad. I am now officially, when Diana hears this, I'm officially now on her bad side. Uh, that I can I can almost now exclusively guarantee. Uh, I can't thank you enough, man. It is first of all, I you're it's it's always great talking with you. It's it's cool because our relation we usually text. I mean, it's because the the time difference, East Coast West Coast. Yeah. So it's great to actually hear your voice. I do miss talking to you uh, on the uh-huh. phone. We have so many other stories that we need to uh, to swap uh, off air, so to speak. <laughs> but I I really do um, I, I do appreciate the time. And and look, I mean, you know this uh, from the bottom of my heart, man. I, I I'm so thrilled for you because you and I went through uh, a lot together at ESPN, and you yeah. I know are are king of the hill right now in Philadelphia. I know you're you're extremely happy. Um, at your station. I know you're, you're having a ton of success, so I wish you nothing but more success in the future. Right back at you, Andy. You're killing it there at the Pac-12 Network. You know I can't name all 12 Pac-12 teams anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you could when you were at ESPN because you had to know all of it, but I guarantee you you yeah. can give me the, uh, the starting offensive line for the Eagles. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, know the audience is what it comes down to. Deuces, thanks again, man, for stopping by the podcast. Cool. Enjoy. Thanks a lot, Yammer. I can't thank Deuces enough for sharing some of those stories and having some fun with me on the show. All right, Olympic time just around the corner. Jeremy Bloom is going to be on next week's show. Of course, a fantastic skier, uh, performed in a couple of Olympics, not to mention was an NFL player drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. And then the following week, we're going to stay on that Olympic theme. She's a a colleague of mine at the Pac-12 Network. Uh, She is an Olympic medalist, uh, a phenomenal gymnast in her own right. Uh, She performed, obviously, in the Olympics a couple of years ago, and I know she's actually going to be down in Rio uh, covering it for NBC. But Samantha Peshik is going to be stopping by the show. So the next couple of weeks, an Olympic theme, some really cool stories, um, and and really great insight on what it takes to be an Olympic athlete. So next week, Jeremy Bloom, and the following week, Samantha Peshik. Thanks again for listening to the show. Make sure you click that subscribe button. Continue to pass along. uh, You know, Just let your friends know sort of what this show is about and that, that it is out there. And of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Yam and the feedback always appreciated. Also on Twitter, or excuse me, also on Facebook. My page is Mike Yam. Thanks again for listening.